Hello, and welcome to Makers at Dev, episode number 20. Chris, bonjour, comment ça va? Hi, I'm doing okay. <laughs> oh, you speak French. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I, I, speak that, I speak that much French. Um, yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, I had a pretty good week in terms of uh, like doing things, and so that's, that's good. Um, did some data science stuff. I did some Acorn Chat stuff. I did some Meeting Place stuff. So uh, kind of all the things. Uh, how about you? Love it. I had a manic but incredibly fun week playing with this combination 3d printer cnc machine laser cutter oh my gosh i want to talk so much about that but we'll leave that for later uh big thing from this last week is like i got caught up on email i did it i got to the bottom and i have new insight into why there was that block and how i can prevent that happening from for next time yeah um it's, I have new insight into myself. It feels good. I uh, also played a whole bunch of card games with my siblings, and that was a lot of fun. I enjoy hanging out with siblings. And it's crawfish season, which is very exciting. I ate, I think, four pounds of crawfish this last <laughs> week, and it was delicious. You, you just get in the rhythm of, like, you're peeling them, and it feels very technical. It's like you got the thing, and you, there's a little puzzle you got to solve, and then, ooh, you get a reward with a little piece of crawfish. That's funny. Uh it's a lot of fun. Talk to me about data science stuff. What did you get up to? What what new insights do you have in the world of data science? What new abilities have you acquired? Yeah, so I thought I would uh, start using some of the skills I've been learning. So I I was already registered for, but I looked again at Kaggle, uh, K-A-G-G-L-E. They are a data science, they are like the data science um, competition platform. So they have, and they're owned by Google now, they used to be independent but they have competitions run by usually companies, uh, sometimes like just or other organizations, but um, they will give you a like a data set and then they have like target metrics you're supposed to hit and then uh, they have a leaderboard. And so you can like, as people submit their, their answers, you can see like on the leaderboard, um, you know, how, how people are doing and then the contest runs for a while. And then at the end, there's usually prizes, like cash prizes. Um, and sometimes like, like a lot of cash <laughs> for prizes. You generally have to be really, really good. Like they're given to, you know, places one, two, and three, and there's like a thousand submissions, you know, so you have to be really good to get top one, two, or three. Um, but it's just, it's just really fun. So I started, um, the, the reason I do, I, I probably spent, I don't know, three or four days on it. And um, it was because there's a competition running now for indoor location uh, accuracy. So indoor positioning of a smartphone. So someone holds a smartphone out with a specific app running and then using Wi-Fi and iBeacons to locate that within shopping malls. Hmm. And uh, I actually did that as my job. That was my first job for a long time. Um, I wrote software for like six, seven years. We wrote software. Um, it was in healthcare, not in shopping malls, but so like hmm. you could locate uh, equipment as it moved around the hospital. Um, hmm. So anyway, so that's really interesting. Now I'm approaching it from a data science side. Uh, we didn't have that when I was working there, but yeah, so that's nice. what I did. How fun. You, you still get to do fun side projects, but like doing it in a competition you could potentially win a whole bunch of money for it. What's a whole bunch of money? Like thousands, tens of thousands? Uh, well, th this one is like 5,000, 3,000, 2,000 for first, second, third place. Um, Fantastic. But that's pretty low, actually. Like most most competitions. So that's 10,000 total prize money. Right now, I think the top contest on there is 60 grand in total prize money. Um, and, uh, so the original that? competition that like started this whole thing was Netflix. Um, and that was the prize for that was a million dollars. So that it, it can get to be a lot, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, this this stemmed out of the Netflix. I remember the Netflix prize of like, well, it was uh, they didn't run it on Kaggle like Netflix just ran their own. But um, but yeah, I mean that that sort of kicked off this whole like data science as a competition, uh, you know, trend. Mm, that makes sense. I'm so curious how this works. Are you do you send in your code or do you send in how your algorithm has classified things and then they check it? What's how, how does this work transactionally? Yeah. So I think there's multiple ways that it can happen. For this one, what they did is they held out a part, uh, like 10,000 data points that they want you to predict. And they give you those like in a sample file with dummy data. And what you have to do is you have to fill in the actual data and then you upload it. It automatically checks it and automatically scores you. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So that, that wouldn't be feasible to like cheat by hand. Cause I imagine they're giving you like millions of data points. Yeah, so they give you the training data as millions of data points. The test is uh, 10,000 rows or just over 10,000 rows for this contest. Okay. Um, although, so cheating is a funny word um, because in data science, it's called data leakage. Basically, if your training set sort of leaks into your test set, um, mm. then that's called data leakage. And there actually is some in this contest where there's some like because like they try to like pseudo random or they try to randomize and then like kind of anonymize some of the data so that mm -hmm. there isn't leakage. But in this case, like timestamps uh, sort of leaked from training into test. And so yeah. actually there is some data leakage. Um, and so, yeah, what, one of the things Kaggle does is try to make it so that data doesn't leak into the test set. Um, but yeah, I think for this contest, based on my, uh, I, I thought the data leakage was going to be important. Uh, it turns out it, it probably doesn't actually matter that much because um, you can get the same results even if you dismiss the data leakage part for this contest. But yeah, for for other contests it's really important that your test set is completely separate from your training set that makes sense what a fun way to do scoring of like here's this huge data set and it, it wouldn't really be feasible to do it like by hand i imagine the rows are things that don't even make sense if you're doing it as a human uh and so like fail out this test and send in the test and then that's how we score you and i imagine they have like well, no, hold on how are they how do they know what the truth is do they make their own algorithm or, or are they verifying it by hand? Yeah, I know. So in this case, uh, so for all data science cases, but I'll talk to this one is they collected the data. So say you have a million rows of actual data. So it's like I get a bunch of Wi-Fi positions and then I get le like my actual position. And, they, hmm. and the way they got actual position was they had a user tap on the smartphone when they hit certain checkpoints as they went around the mall. All they do is they hold out some of the rows. And so the rows they hold out, they know the Wi-Fi like checkpoints and the like the actual ground truth, like they, the user tapped that I'm here mm. button. And so if they hold those out and they just ask you to predict the, like the X, Y, then they know the X, Y, cause that's the user actually tapped on it. Um, now does the user tap at the right time, you know, and there's like some, mm. like what, you know, how accurate is the actual ground truth information? That's always a question too, but, um, mm. yeah, no, they, they measured it and that's how they know the actual truth. That's so cool. Okay. So presumably they have beacons all around the mall that are listening to everyone coming in the mall. And that's what the millions of rows data set is. And then they have people who they were like, hey, we'll give you a free Cinnabon if you install this app and walk around the mall and at these checkpoints, hit this button. And then the the data coming from those people is what makes up the 10,000 rows that they know that they can test you on. And then they're trying to get you they're trying to get you to train. Well, no, because the millions of rows, you would have to be training knowing the actual position. Yeah, they so did that the millions for millions all... of rows came from actual data. Yep. Yep. Okay. Interesting. And they just held out 10,000 rows. Yeah. What, why do you think they want this? Are, 
I guess that would be useful for malls to have analytics of uh, where people are and be able to do that from just like cheap Wi-Fi beacons. Is, are these are these algorithms then going to be used for a commercial product? How I'm, I'm curious about like the structure of this industry. It makes sense for yeah. me with Netflix, but what what happens to this code that you've written now? Yeah, so um, th there are lots of reasons you might want um, location. Uh, f so when I was doing it at the company that I was working at, so we were doing it in a hospital, and we were tracking. We weren't using Wi-Fi. You could use Wi-Fi. They, there's lots of ways you can do it. I can go all into the weeds. But um, what we wanted to know is where all the equipment was in a hospital. And so there's a few things you can do once you know that. Uh, you can have, like, nurses who go to a terminal and say, you know, what, where's the nearest clean IV pump? Um, because mm -hmm. it's actually hard to find equipment sometimes in hospitals, like especially if things are kind of going nuts. Then, And you want to find the nearest clean piece of whatever. Then mm -hmm. you can figure that out. Um, the One of the bigger use cases in a hospital is you have these people whose job it is to like do preventative maintenance on equipment. Um, and so you, you say like, go make sure that, you know, go run diagnostics on IV pump number, you know, 10,020. Uh, it's somewhere in this million square foot hospital. <laughs> and, uh, you can imagine that if you knew actually where it was, you could save a whole ton of time. Yeah. Um, and so those are kind of some of the primary use cases. You can also do like analytics. So like how many of our, you know, how many pieces of equipment are being used at this time? You know, do we have to order more, whatever, um, so, so that's like a, the hospital, so like the industrial use case, um, same, same thing applies for manufacturing for the, but you're right for the Wi-Fi in a mall scenario. Um, what people generally want to know is how many people are in the mall? Uh, do they pass by my store? Do they go in my store? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, and that starts getting into like privacy concerns and things like that, you know? Um, so that's why we didn't, we didn't really touch that at my company. Um, but yeah. And then the, oh, the other use case, which is really uh, customer friendly is you pull up this app. It'll show you exactly where the mall is. You say, I want to go to Cinnabon. It shows you a map mm. for, you know, walk this way to go to Cinnabon. Um, Based on exactly where you are. Yeah. And then that app. Is and, then, and then that app tracks where you are. Install it. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that can be used to, to feed the data. Yeah. How interesting. Okay. So would, is the company that you were working for that was developing the software that can use this data, the sort of company that would be, submitting these problems to Kaggle and then do they pay Kaggle? No, what? no. So it, we sold directly to the hospitals. Um, okay. So, or we went often through hardware partners. We didn't make the hardware. Uh, we went through hardware partners to sell into hospitals. Um, so we actually like, we would write the software that the nurses would actually use and then we install it on the software servers or on the hospital servers. And then the nurses would use our software. <laughs> so it's, oh, excuse me, it's the same, um, uh, industry that i was in but it's like a different angle at it yeah how how does kaggle get a hold of these problems like what what's the incentive of kaggle to be solving these yeah so this one this for fun this one is a microsoft research funded study um through china and it's i think it's they're usually they're linked to universities or research arms of big companies and so okay. they spend a lot of money to collect all this data and they um you know they have the experience to like do it themselves but you can also get, you know, a thousand other people to look at your data and make sure. models too. So, um, yeah. for $10,000 for $10,000. Yeah. 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 So, oh, amazing. Huh? I wonder if there are problems in my life that I, <laughs> I don't know that I would spend $10,000, but like there are data science problems I would spend a thousand dollars to solve. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and it's not huh. always prizes. Sometimes it's just, uh, uh, like there's prizes like, um, swag. So like Kaggle will give mm -hmm. you like sweatshirts and stuff. Uh, and then some of them are just like for fun. So you upload a data set to Kaggle and then it's like kudos, basically like you can increase your rank on Kaggle just by doing well on certain competitions. Neat.
Very cool. How fun. Well, th- how do you feel about your chances? Did they did they <laughs> tell you like what your score was immediately when you uploaded it? Yeah. So so far, what I've done. This is this goes back to something I talked about last week too, which is like learning a new thing. So for the first like day or two, like I like just trying to understand the data was so hard because it's like uh, the timestamps are all out of order, and there's like they they don't just have like Wi-Fi and iBeacon, they have like acceleration and gyroscope, and because they had an, a full app running with full permissions on an Android phone, mm-hmm. and like just getting a handle of what the data was was like like two days. <laughs> And then after a while, I got over the hump of actually understanding it. And I did that, by the way, by writing a whole Rails app backend and, like, parsing all the data and stuff. Um, all right. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of a superpower. Uh, right. Interesting t- tool chain choice. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. But once I did that, I understood the data, right? Uh, anyway, so I've made a few submissions. And, yeah, uh, I've ranked them. I think I should be able to get in the top 10% or so, um, which sounds – on one hand, it sounds good. On the other hand, it's like – you know, 600 people sign up for the competition, half don't submit anything, you know, and mm. another half, like, submit once and, like, never again. So, mm. so I'm in probably about top 10% right now. I hope to get better. Um, I have lots of ideas about how to improve it. So, yeah. Neat. Well, me and the makers.dev listeners will be rooting for you and <laughs> eagerly waiting the results to hear uh, how you did. Let's get you that $5,000 prize. Yeah. Um, that'll be cool. Neat. How... How is this slotting into this? It, it seems like you're on like a research learning uh, wave, uh, specifically like in AI research. Is, is that becoming your primary focus? Or are you also taking classes? What what does that look like? Uh, like how is, how is that slotting into the bigger uh, master plan? Yeah. So right now I'm still just kind of exploring it to see how I feel about it. Um, I'm doing a lot of online learning. Um, like... I'm doing, so MIT and Stanford have great online classes. Coursera has some good ones. Uh, I'm reading a few books. We talked about a few of those last time. So I'm just trying to get myself up to speed with some of the latest, like, things that have happened, especially in the last year or two. Um, And, uh, yeah, so right now I'm just exploring that as something interesting. Um, And I don't know where that's going to (laughs) go. And after a while, I'm going to need to pay the bills. So I will either have to uh, do something with it or or not, Um, which is something we could talk about. So... I probably want to create a course for this, like we talked about that last time. Um, and I wonder how you, like, how would you manage creating a course, which is sort of shorter term revenue, right, versus the SASs, which are longer term revenue, you know, they could take years to get up to speed. Um, I, I don't know, what are, your, what are your thoughts about that? Like course, short term revenue versus SAS long term revenue? Hmm. A problem that I think about a lot is just generally, how do you balance short-term versus long-term i would like to say oh always go for the long-term play but you can't do that like in life if you're trying to sacrifice for the long term like all right global warming is the longest term problem so you know let me minimize my carbon footprint and never use any electricity and like eat an entirely vegetarian diet and uh figure out how to live entirely by the sun like I don't think that's the most productive way forward. Uh, so y- you need some sort of a balance between short-term and long-term. And I think the I think the strategy there is like whenever you can make the long-term choice because the short-term choices are easier to make. The, those don't need advocation. Uh, but y- you do need a little push in the direction of like think a little bit more long-term. So I think I would say like trying to make this strategically if you can make a longer term choice, then make the longer term choice. And 
don't sacrifice too much of the short term to get there. Uh, but like from a from a different angle, I think I have seen so many improvements in my life from just optimizing for like, what am I the most excited about right now? What's the thing? What's the direction of my life that I want to do the most? What's the most fulfilling work for me? Uh, and being more sensitive to those feelings and following that direction. So like, you're really excited about data, data science right now. Uh, it sounds like making this course would be not only helping you learn it because teaching other people is a great way to learn something, but uh, making a course is a thing that's fun for you, I think, and would be a nice short-term win. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have difficulty making an argument that you shouldn't do that. I think that if it's a thing you want to do, if it's a thing you're excited about, like do it. Enthusiasm is impossible to manufacture. You can't just like choose a thing to be excited about that. That's a very complicated process that I think has to arise naturally. Uh, so like, yeah, dude, make the course. That's yeah. cool. I would, I would love to take that. Yeah. That's kind of how I've been feeling also, which is why I'm still sort of learning all this stuff. So mm. yeah, which we could talk about a whole, uh, other can of worms too, which is I, I read something about how ADHD affects your like ability to do things. Um, mm. and I don't think I have ADHD, but I definitely recognize some tendencies uh, of it in me. Right. Um, Same. <laughs> and one of the things I, I, so I, I read this, um, article about like how people without ADHD and with ADHD, like prioritize and get things done. Mm. And, uh, for without ADHD, it's mostly like kind of what's important and I'll do that. With ADHD, importance has almost no value in like what you do. <laughs> um, instead, it is uh, what you are currently excited about, which is what we talk yeah. about all the time. The yeah. other is uh, you basically procrastinate until a hard deadline, and then you like do it right before. And I recognize that mm -hmm. in myself all the time. I, I, in school, that's how I operated. Like I would do everything just before the deadline. And then the other is competition. Um, which is exactly what this Kaggle thing is, which I felt very viscerally right now. Like I see the leaderboard and I want to go up the leaderboard and that's why I'm prioritizing that right now. Um, yeah. and so I've just, you know, I recognized, uh, those three things, especially in my life and especially right now. Um, so yeah, that's, that's something I'm dealing with too. That's, that's how I'm prioritizing things right now. I feel that my, uh, this is something I talk about with my sister all the time. I didn't realize part of the symptoms of ADHD are like, you get really passionate about projects and just don't do anything and, and spend, you know, hours and days focused on this one thing, just obsessed with it. Uh, I thought that was evidence of like, oh no, I don't, I couldn't possibly have ADHD because look at how much focused work I'm doing. And I think that's like a coping mechanism of you're pushed away from the responsible things you want to do. And that dives you deeper into the thing that you actually want to do. And so you can, you can do things that you want to do with much more ferocity and uh, just have that consume you because there, there are, you're, you're both being drawn to it and being pushed away from it, uh, from other sides. I don't, I'd like to dig more, more into, uh, ADHD. That's something I don't fully understand that I think could benefit me. Uh, yeah. there was a, there was a Twitter thread I was reading, uh, that was talking about productivity hats, hacks. And, uh, someone was like, ah, oh, my productivity hack is treat my ADHD with <laughs> medication. <laughs> like, yeah. Whoa. Uh, and like, that's cool. If I could take Ritalin or something and. Uh, be much more focused and better able to do email. But the flip side of that, I think, is I see this aspect of both of us as being high in openness. Openness being one of the five traits of the Big Five personality test, which I think is the only valid personality test. Uh, Myers-Briggs is uh, bad and <laughs> unscientific, and so are horoscopes. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but 
openness is this measure of like creativity and your desire to experience new things and uh, your, your divergent thinking. And the flip side of that is like, you can be scattered and you have difficulty focusing and like doing hard work in a single direction. And uh, for people who are low in openness, uh, that's not bad. That's just like you're at a different point in the spectrum. There are strengths and weaknesses to being at every point. If you're low in or op lower in openness, like it's very easy for you to be focused. It's, you know, you can make a list of the priorities that you have and what the most important work is and just go through them militantly. And like, I think that the gains to be made on that spectrum are wherever your weakness is. So for me and you, I think we're very high in openness, very creative. We don't have problems coming up with new ideas. Like we'll experience the most gains by finding strategies like entering contests or being militant about having to do lists uh, that pull us more into the lower openness side of like, okay, no, I've come up with all the ideas already. I just need to sit down and, and execute them or maybe taking medication. I don't know. That's a, that's something I'm curious about experimenting with. Uh, I think the thing I'm fearful of is like, yes, of course, I could get through email easier, but I value so much this ability to just like come up with new ideas of these crazy new things that haven't existed and be able to go off in these directions. And uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm still trying to find that balance for myself. Uh, but yeah, ADHD, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting and probably uh, somewhat accurate diagnosis for the way that we both do work. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I watched a few videos, YouTube videos, and one was by, he was either a doctor or a professor, but he has done a lot of work with people with ADHD and he sort of described a lot of what you're talking about. The first thing is that, um, yeah, it's a misnomer that like you can't focus on things. He said, you know, sit someone with ADHD in front of a video game they like, and they will stare at that screen for hours doing it right. Yeah. Obviously they can focus. It's just, you know, on what they want instead of what's important. Um, and then the other thing is, yeah, a lot of people, they even with well so getting a diagnosis of it means that it is somehow like it, part, part of the diagnosis is it, it is destructive in some way it's hampering your life in some way um and even people with a diagnosis may not take medicine because a lot of the aspects of it are kind of like a superpower in a lot of ways mm. like being like this openness like you talked about and so if you can find ways to maintain that by not taking medicine while still you know being able to focus on important things if you have to um, then that's, that's when, you know, medicine would actually be harm, harmful to you. Um, but at a certain point, you know, if you can't do anything, then that's when, you know, medicine really helps. So yeah, it's, uh, that, that's why I say, I don't, I don't think I have it, but I definitely, uh, uh, tend towards a lot of the uh, tendencies mm -hmm. that I, that I heard this guy talk about. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about and kind of understand better. Fascinating too, because I love studying things at the extremes and i think the easy thing to do in that case is like ah look at this there's this terrible disease that all these other people have and they're bad ah people with adhd they're bad and not like me i'm so much better than them when really the benefit of that is like we are both humans we have so much more in common than we're dissimilar yes this person's traits are a little bit more exaggerated than mine but by learning more about them and why they make those decisions and the things that help them that helps me notice more subtle behaviors of the way that I act. Uh, I, I've learned a whole bunch about personality disorders and uh, for reasons I won't get into on this podcast, but I talk about it on other podcasts a lot. Uh, and the easy thing to do is say like, ah, narcissistic personality disorder. What terrible people those people are. 
uh, and you know they they gaslight you and they uh, aren't able to deal with strong emotions and so they just spew that out onto everyone else that they're around and like the easy thing to do for me is say oh what terrible people those people are and let me just have nothing to do with them but the deeper insight for me is like how am I like that? What What is the part of this disorder that is similar to how I act in the real world? And then how can I use the tactics and how can I use this understanding and this exaggerated profile to better understand the, the subtleties in myself? I feel sort of the same about uh, like, you know, manic depressiveness. This is something I've talked about a few times that I'm certainly not manic depressive. And I there's a, there's a more subdued version of that called hypomania. That's just like the, the peaks and troughs are the, Oh, the amplitude is, is less. And I don't think I have that either, because like you're saying, the part of the diagnosis for that is like it has to be significantly impacting your life. But the people that have those that get diagnosed with them are also human with human brains and are very similar to me in a lot of different respects. And I can imagine if you put me in a different environment or tweaked my biochemistry a little bit, yeah, I could be diagnosed with that. And so the, the benefit of that is like recognizing this pattern when it's more pronounced and then using those tools for myself to, to better understand the more subtle patterns that wouldn't be as easy to recognize. Uh, that's something I feel very strongly about that. Like, I think that's the benefit of having diagnoses for things and having names and uh, studying the extreme cases because it helps me better understand myself. Uh, that That's it. Yeah. Uh, especially uh, sort of as entrepreneurs, like we, so there are studies that show that entrepreneurs have much higher proclivities to anxiety, depression, ADHD, mania, <laughs> like all the, all the things. And, and that's mostly, you know, what makes us bad employees probably, um, and actually good at entrepreneurship. Um, yeah. so yeah, for, for all listeners too, like, you know, if, if you think you have something, you know, go, go do some research. Um, if maybe it'll give you a name to something that you're feeling. That, that's what I yeah. say. And no shame. Like it's okay to have these things. It's having a, the, the game is just better understanding yourself. Uh, it, it doesn't make you a better or worse person. It's like you, you've been given a set of advantages and every advantage is also a disadvantage. If you're like very productive, if you're uh, high in industriousness on the big five personality test, if you're, you're very good at just like putting your head down and working, uh, you aren't as good at like relaxing and just enjoying life. You just always have to be doing something. Uh, there's for, for every point on this spectrum that you could say like, oh, I wish I was more X. Uh, there's there's a disadvantage to being more X. You, there, there's no benefit without sacrifice. There's you, there's a balance to, to all of these things. So like understanding where you are in that spectrum and what your individual strengths are and the weaknesses that those translate into, uh, I think is the game of just like better understanding yourself. That's uh, a it's a category of problem that like I have never wasted time digging into. Uh, anytime I catch a little thread of like, oh, there's this new disorder that matches a lot of my own behavior. Uh, anytime I dig into that, like, it's just paid dividends. It, it makes sense to do that research every time. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that's what I got up to this week. Uh, how about you? So related to everything we're just talking about. <laughs> so like email is, is a thing for me, probably because I uh, identify a lot with the problems of ADHD. Uh, I found, so I, I got to the end of it and I'm so proud of myself. And it, it, the biggest breakthrough I had was like tying myself to the mast of, okay, hold on. How many emails do I have? I have a hundred left. Uh, okay. How many days do I have until the next podcast episode? Six. Okay. What's a hundred divided by six. Okay. If I'm doing at least 20 emails a day, I could like even take a day off for like, I would finish in plenty of time. 
And 20 emails is so much more manageable than 100 because 20, I can, I can sit down for 20 minutes and I, I can do 20 emails. And so I did it and I got all the way through and I had this very simple rule for myself of like, I'm going to go from the oldest email in my inbox to the newest. So there's no choice paralysis. I can't waste time like picking the easiest email to do. I'm just going to go oldest to newest. I'm just spending 25 minutes. And it's this is a process I've had that has worked for me in the past. And just like sitting back down and being like, okay, no, trust the process, do the work. We're not, don't get distracted by, you could build an email app. Like, no, we're right. going to sit down and focus on this thing and just push forward on it. And I did it. And I think, I think the thing that triggered this email mountain to happen, uh, being totally honest with myself, there was an email that was sent to me by the IRS, which is always very spooky. That just, I feel like a pang of anxiety anytime I see any letter or any email from the IRS. There was about the EIDL loan that I got last year. And... I didn't even read it. I like, I forwarded it to my accountant and was like, oh, uh, is this real? And she was like, yes, it's real. And it, it said like, urgent, you need to do this thing. And I didn't even parse what the thing was. And that little tiny, just like, oh, a little grain of sand in the machinery was enough to then, anytime I thought about doing email, I think my brain associated like, oh, no, email scary, IRS email in there. If we did email, we would have to deal with this. And so I was able to just like bump it up. Like, I, I won't check email today. And then the next day, like, oh, I won't do it today either. There's, and I had some excuse for myself of like, ah, I have this thing I'm building or something. And the problem with doing that is like, the more I ignore a problem, the bigger it gets. And the smaller and more afraid I get. And then it gets to this point where it's just out of hand. There's way too many emails and I'm so small and the emails are so big. But once I just like tied myself down of like, I only need to do 20 and... I'm even, I'm just going to set a timer for myself. I'm not even strictly counting 20, but like that's, that's a loose goal. The, the hard goal is I'm going to sit down and do emails for 25 minutes. Um, I was able to go through and like actually read the email because I'm, I'm looking at this email now with the timer. I've only spent four minutes. I'm like, okay, I could spend 10 minutes. Even if I just read this email for 10 minutes, that would be a way forward. And I read the email and it was just like, Hey, we need a document signed by your board of directors that says that you approved this loan. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, well, wait a minute. I feel anxious about that because it's this spooky document that I don't know anything about. And then I thought, wait a minute. No, no, no. I'm very smart. I'm capable of like solving any sort of arbitrary problem just by Googling it. Let's just Google some of the terms in this email. Like, what are they asking for? A signed letter from the board of directors. Let me tell you to Google. Signed letter from board of directors, EIDL loan. And the first thing that came up was like a template of exactly what they wanted. It was like, fill out your business name here and fill out like your different board members here. And if it's a single company, you just write your own name and then put your signature here. And so, like, I don't know if I did it correctly, but I at least pushed it forward if I just filled out this template. And I probably did it wrong, and that's fine. I pushed it forward, and I sent that email back to the spooky person at the IRS that emailed me, and was like, hello, here you go. Sorry it was late. Uh, if this is what you want, I, I hope this is what you want. Like, let me know if not. I'd be happy to help. And as soon as that was done, like, the floodgates just burst open, and all of a sudden, this just became a trivial problem of all the other emails in my inbox were trivialities of, like, <laughs> I had, you know, after I did the initial sweep of taking out all the email newsletters, even then of those 100 emails, probably another 60 were different types of newsletters. Like it, it was nothing important. Half of them I just w was able to uh, get rid of right off the bat. But now this is this is totally open. Uh, and now the next stage of this problem is doing customer support emails because it's the same sort of problem. It's like every email is potentially a customer complaining about a bug that might take, you know, a week to fix that is potentially the security vulnerability. It's, it's just like these, these little emotional landmines. And... I think the same tactic is going to work. Like I don't, I don't have to do a set number of emails. I don't have to do all of them right now. 
I'm just going to do it for 25 minutes today. And that can even be combined with 25 minutes on email. Uh, so yeah, I like, like 25 minutes total. Uh, so great success. <laughs> and I am working to be very patient and kind and accepting towards myself to like negotiate of, Hey, yes, of course you're a very creative person and you have these great ideas of working on your stuff. And there's some stuff that you're going to need to do. That's not stuff you want to do. That's very important to just push forward. Like it's free money from the government. <laughs> if I just do the paperwork that I don't, that's slightly inconvenient for me to do. Uh, that's, that's a longer term choice that I would like to make it uh, easier to make. And that doesn't need to come at the sacrifice of doing creative stuff. If anything, like after finishing it, I just felt this new lightness and openness of like, ah, I've, I've done the things I need to do. It's so much easier for me now to uh, feel creative uh guilt-free do you relate to those feelings do you, is this oh yeah i have it doesn't seem like you have this problem with email but no i have multiple you... examples that i'm going to talk about um oh well, please but the first is uh you just reminded me that I, i'm pretty sure i qualify for the ppp loan version two uh yeah. which is like two and a half months of salary for free if i just file the yes. paperwork <laughs> yes so i need to do that, that was one of the emails that i went through and like you know spending 10 minutes on that might make me i don't know something like ten thousand yeah, yeah. dollars uh, i, I yeah, need to do yeah. that uh okay um uh, the second one is um yeah, so I've had the exact same response to IRS uh, letters before, um, mm -hmm. and the 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 old adage like it's never as bad as you see it seems, and it's never as good as it seems. Like that mm -hmm. seems to apply to IRS all the time. Um, I read once that the IRS will never just like come and put you in jail or something. Like they will send you letters for years before you, like they do something. <laughs> and uh, I had the situation where um, my EIN, which is basically the SSN for your business, um, mm -hmm. the, like the number that registers it with the government, was like it duplicated or wrong or something like, like it, the paperwork was filed twice or something like that. And so the IRS like kept sending me letters and I kept sending them mm. to my accountant and my accountant kept saying they were taken care of and I kept getting letters. And one, mm. and at one point I got a visit from an IRS agent and I oh, went spooky. into full like flight or fight mode. I was like, what's going on? And she's just like, just letting you know, uh, uh, that this is happening. You have to do this. And she told me exactly what to do. And I said, great. <laughs> and I said that right to my accountant and he did the thing and I haven't been bothered since. Um, so she was like paying a nice visit, right? From the IRS. Um, but which exists, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, same thing whenever, so still to this day, whenever I see something from the IRS, mostly it's like, uh, you know, I don't know, something, you know, it has nothing to do with anything I've done wrong or anything. It's just like, here yeah. is something, uh, I still get the same, like, Oh no, is this about the stupid EIN again? And that like, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's fine. It's probably fine. <laughs> right. That's, that's the first thing. Um, and then the second thing is I, I experienced this exact same thing when I first bought a house, when you first buy a house, there's so much stuff you have to take care of that you don't think about when you're renting. And I like felt this like sort of crippling, you know, like, like paralyzing fear of like, I have so much stuff to do for this house. Uh, for example, there was, uh, when we first bought our first house, there was like a lot of poison Ivy growing up a few trees. And I was like, mm. I don't want to deal with this. What, what? And, and I had this realization that I can pay people to do things. <laughs> <laughs> and so I made a couple calls and $200 later, all the poison Ivy was gone, you know? Amazing. Um, and so like, yeah, like it, if you're in what seems like a really bad situation, take a breath, you know, what, what are the, the things like in that situation, I just applied money to the situation and it went away. Um, yeah, yeah so I, I feel that for sure. Uh, maybe not always an email, but in other situations. Yeah. I love that adage. It's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. That's gonna, it's gonna get locked into my brain. Yeah. Love it. This seems sort of like 
okay, pulling back a little bit. I love interacting with children because a child's motivation seems to me to be so transparent. When I'm interacting with like a, a two-year-old, my two-year-old uh, cousin's son, George, and he's acting cranky. If I ask him like, hey, George, why did you just hit your sister? He'll say something like, because she was mean. And like, I totally understand that from his perspective. But from my adult perspective, I'm like, George, you simple little child. You skipped your nap today and you're hungry. You just need to lay down, take a nap, and then eat. And like, I can see it so clearly for you because your problems seem to me so simple. But it's so much more difficult to, to see that in me. And one of the, the types of those interactions that I've had with children that seems so transparent, but like is, is much more difficult for me to articulate and understand is like a child does something bad and knows that it's bad. So like, you know, they, they have some juice and they were playing with the cap of the juice box or the, the little sippy cup and then it comes off and then juice gets spilled on the floor. They feel this pang of negative emotion and like probably this anxiety and then they try to hide it. They like put, put a book over it so that you can't see that there was juice. And if you go over to them and you're like, what's this over here? They're like, oh, it's nothing. It's a book. We don't need to talk about it. Come, come over here. We're going to, we're going to do this other thing. And like, that's so transparent for me when it's the child of like, oh, you feel anxious about this thing and you don't want to deal with it. You're the, the emotion feels like it's too big for your little tiny child body, but like, Hey, it's okay. This problem is not as big as it seems. It's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. We can fix this, but like, you gotta tell me because the, the longer we're just ignoring the problem, the bigger the problem's gonna get. If you tell me right away, we can clean it up and put some water and it's like it never happened. But if you wait like a day, okay, now it's gonna start to smell and now the, the carpet's discolored and uh, you, you have to have a more involved uh, solution to do it. And I, I'm working really hard to be a better parent for myself. Like the parent that I would want for that child that just spilled the juice box and is now hiding it in shame is a parent who would be very kind and accepting and like, hey, you're feeling this bad emotion and it's okay and you are bigger than this problem is. It's not as bad as it seems. Instead of, I think what my initial reaction is in that moment, if I'm being a bad parent to myself is like, you piece of garbage. <laughs> you can't clean up the juice puddle. You can't answer this email from the IRS. You can't even read the email. Come on. What's, uh, you're, you're, you're useless as a human being and you need to get your act together. And like, that's not an effective strategy. If that was an effective strategy, I could be convinced to do something like that. But like through experience, that's not what gets me to do the thing. What gets me to do the thing is like, hey, we're going to have a negotiation. What's the thing you want? You want to play with your 3D printer? Great. How about this? You can play with your 3D printer all day. After you do 25 minutes, you just have to sit down. It's not a set number of emails. Just, just do it. And it's okay. And like, you're doing a great job. Here's some little pats on the back. That's the thing that gets me to do stuff. If I'm a good, kind parent to myself, I am able to apply for a $10,000 loan <laughs> to the IRS. That's like completely forgivable. So it, it might just be free $10,000, although I'm not banking on that. Uh, I'm not spending the money until like, I'm absolutely <laughs> sure. Like, right. I'm not going to give the need to give this back. All right. This is, this is actually money. Uh, so bringing that home, like, I think the most effective way to, for that I've noticed to get myself to do things that I don't want to do is to frame it as I am a child trying his best. And what would a very kind and loving parent do to try to encourage me to do things that were more in my best interest. And that seems to be very effective.
Yeah, that's great. Are you being a good parent to yourself? That's something we should, I should like sticky note to my monitor, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Neat. On a much lighter topic, oh my gosh, 3D printers are so freaking cool. Oh, <laughs> they're amazing. You can just download anything and you can just print it out. It's, oh, immediately after we recorded our podcast, <laughs> I, was, I was checking just like neurotically uh, refreshing the, the shipping notification. And I saw that it had been delivered. Like, I think it got delivered during the recording of the podcast last time. And so I hung up rudely on you and like <laughs> ran downstairs to go unpack it. And it was so much fun to unpack. It's just all these screws and like, oh, it's it's so solidly built and modular. And it was, and I plugged it in incorrectly. I mixed up the Y and Z axis uh, and like destroyed the bed initially because it wasn't uh, calibrated correctly and uh did like two other things wrong in the assembly of it but i fixed it and then i printed stuff out and it just worked i, ju I just it, it summoned a thing from the internet designed and just print and then i had it it was amazing and so I've, I've been printing stuff out just like for for like the first three days i just was printing on it nonstop, and it's so loud <laughs> and it's i have it set up in the same room that i'm sleeping in so uh i like did not sleep very well that night but it, i was just so excited i jumped out of bed the next morning like oh here we go uh, you mentioned also that uh, ADD, uh, ADHD is like you can you can be involved and in just like be engrossed in something for hours. Yeah, I watched things being 3D printed for about six hours last week, just like <laughs> awesome. staring at the nozzle, just like going along. And oh, I, I, it's so cool! It goes along the outside and does all the outside edges, and then all the inside edges. And then once it's fi finished with the wall on the bottom, it fills it in with this like hexagonal grid pattern that looks sort of like a honeycomb or like a star of david thing uh so that the interior walls are all hollow uh and then it like it can bridge the gap between those and it can do an arch where it's overhanging it's amazing um and then this machine that i got the the snap maker is also a cnc machine and it's also a laser cutter and i haven't tried the cnc machine out yet but the laser cutter is great you can just download an image and then burn it into anything and so i made uh, the the very uh basic art that you see of like the 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 street pattern mm -hmm. burned into wood made one of those i just like downloaded it out made it with my girlfriend and she did it uh for a, a place that she studied and you know you just you, you download it and you do a little photoshopping and then you can burn it into wood and then it's it looks like this you know hundred dollar piece of art that you made for two dollars in supplies it's so cool and i'm I, there's all these projects my, my brain is just exploding now of like the the number of things that I am capable of doing now that I wasn't able to do uh, on uh, the call that we had a few days ago, you were like, "Oh, this, it'd be cool if this could also be a pen blotter." Yeah. And I was like, "I wonder if there's an attachment for this to be a pen blotter." And there totally is. You just 3D print out this piece that bolts onto it, and then you can stick a pen in it, and you use it like you would a CNC machine, and then you can have it draw anything. And if you get a pack of markers, you can have it make a color drawing. It can be like a very expensive printer. Um, <laughs> And like handwrite notes and oh my gosh, it's, it's just so much fun. Uh, and uh, th there's so many things I'm planning for now of different projects to, to do with this. I totally get, um, is it Josh Pickford, Pickford who did uh, laser tweets? Yeah, lasers, LOL. Yeah. Yes, oh uh, yes, 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 because he rebranded. Uh, I totally get it. Like <laughs> it's it's so much fun and it's it's a physical thing afterwards instead of just like this ephemeral software. Uh, I love it. I think everyone should get one. There are a thousand dollars and you get like all three of those things. Uh, and then the fourth, if you also 3d print the, uh, the machine and, oh man, there's, there's a bunch of getting into now, like the weeds of how each of these things works and the G code and, oh, I love it. It's, it's so much fun. <laughs> it's my, the 
my favorite thing I own right now is this machine. Uh, it's great. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I I asked you about the pen plotting because I I very nearly bought an Axie Draw, which is like a five hundred dollar pen plotter. Um, mm. so five hundred dollar pen plotter plus three hundred dollars three D printer plus three hundred. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I should I should buy one of those things. Um, I haven't yet because I'm still in the same place as I was last week, which is like. It, it would be another thing <laughs> i already have too many things and like you yeah. know maybe i should uh like sell some of my other things before i buy another toy basically that's a very good reason yes <laughs> you have to create the space for the thing uh yeah i think we are very similar in the things that we like i think you would very much enjoy it if the space was created for this thing or oh how about this if you apply for that ppp loan the government could effectively could buy, buy you one for free, this right? machine. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, pay my rent. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, or both. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. There's so many things I want to do with this. Um, making a bunch of gifts for it also. What a... Something that I'm really enjoying with this is, like, you can turn a $10 gift into a $200 gift just by laser engraving something onto it, something personal. Uh, so like my sister, Sophia, is getting married to her fiance, Patrick, uh, next month. Their initials are S and P. So I got them a salt and pepper little box container and I laser engraved Sophia and Patrick on it. That's cool. uh, and like that now turned into this thing that they're probably gonna keep for years. Uh, because it's like a one of a kind thing. This is this isn't something you get at Walmart. This is like a thing that was custom created for you, and it's it's a high quality item, and it's a thing you're actually going to use. Uh, so I'm I'm really enjoying this superpower of like I can customize anything. I can I can create value in the world. I can make any arbitrary item more valuable to the person I'm giving it to just by you know with an extra 10 minutes of work on my part of like ah, oh, what would be a cool thing to be written on here ah, let's, let's permanently etch this on this in a very classy way that's not just like i'm drawing on it with a marker or something uh oh it's so much fun yeah that's cool yeah. um i wonder i'll ask the same question that you kind of asked me which is so my uh exploration into ai and data science is a little bit like yes. your exploration into 3d printing uh it doesn't sure pay is. the bills right now uh, but it's kind of a neat and valuable skill um how are you sort of juggling this and you talked about email a little bit but are are you how are you juggling this and your other projects so i think my deal with myself is as long as i'm taking care of the things i need to do i can sort of go in whatever direction i'm most passionate about um and so for me right now, that means staying on top of email, getting through my customer support email backlog, and then recording the lessons for a uh, class that I started on learning how to code. That's been just rotting on the vine. Uh, so like, as long as I'm pushing those projects forward, I can be working on whatever I want. And file inbox is also in there. I. This, this, I think this would be a good topic for another episode, but like filing box feels like it's always priority number four for me in my life mm. and is, is difficult for me to, for me to push forward. Um, that's, that's how I'm currently conceptualizing it though. Of like, if I'm getting the things done that I need to get done, I can pursue the thing that I'm most excited about. This, this is the deal that I make with my, uh, ADHD tendencies. Uh, and right now that's learning as much as I can about 
this world of G-code devices. Uh, and it seems like this couldn't possibly be a bad investment. I spend a lot of time trying to think about what are ways that I can spend money to be making more money. This is a tool that I can use now to prototype any sort of hardware device. I've been sort of spooked of hardware in the past because there's so many more difficulties in like getting a hardware device and doing manufacturing and doing prototyping. And now I have a very cheap way to make physical prototypes. So like uh, a project I'm doing with my girlfriend is printing out a physical device to do time tracking that integrates with the midnight total time tracker thing that I'm making. And that's a great physical device like that, that meaningfully impacts the usefulness of that software product. And I'm only able to get there because I have this thing. And because I'm now building up this expertise of like, how can I make things in the physical world? Uh, so it, it doesn't seem like a bad investment to be figuring out how 3d printing and 3d design works. Uh, th this seems like it slot. It, it doesn't seem like it has many immediate applications of like, oh, of course, file inbox is a thing for these people. And, uh, you know, a bunch of 3D printer people are using it. And so I need to learn more about this, this world. It's more of a longer term play than that. It's like, this is a skill that I would like to have that I see being universally useful. Uh, so while I'm excited about it, while I have this enthusiasm for it, like, yes, absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to dive into it. Uh, what's your critique of that? I feel like uh, th this isn't fully formulated. Is this a good strategy? No, it basically sounds like what I'm doing with uh, AI right now. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's diving into something you're super passionate about right now uh, and sort of the the hopes or, or thought that it you know, can apply later in other ways. And even not if you're not doing 3D printing directly or, you know, like manufacturing material things directly, like the, the things you're learning now will help you potentially in other ways in the future. Um, one question I had is if file inbox is making a lot of money semi-passively and is kind of always fourth on your list. Um, have you ever thought about selling it? Uh, multiples are pretty high right now for SaaS, especially SaaS that's sort of passive. Yes, I have. And uh, man, I just don't know. So the, the, it makes about $8,000 a month right now. And for me to be making $8,000 a month from like just being invested in the stock market would be 25 times that would be uh times 12 times 25 would be 2.4 million dollars so like file inbox is sort of worth 2.4 million dollars to me and that's not a reasonable price for anyone else to pay for i it. think that's higher uh, than multiple yeah <laughs> yeah that's so much higher that's that's a 25x multiple and like i think a you know a two or three x multiple would make more sense so that that'd be like two to three hundred thousand dollars i i <sighs> Well, so I was going to say, I think it's higher than that right now. I think three to yeah. 10 uh, for SaaS, like especially the more passive SaaS, really? especially especially if you can, say, focus really hard for three months and start showing growth. Like say, yeah. you know, I did these marketing things and they brought this ROI, you know, like um, yeah. I think acquirers right now are really hungry for that. Yeah. Interesting. But that's... that sort of makes sense in the market of like cash is people are trying to get money out of cash. If anyone is sitting on cash, they want to get out of it as yeah. fast as possible. I think interest rates are, or uh, inflation is, is going to go way up. Yeah. But I think at most it's probably 10 X yeah. uh, ARR, not 24 X <laughs> ARR. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think the reason for me to do that of anything else would just be like, I could focus more. It, it would be taking less of my attention and like, 
I like building things. I do not like maintaining things. And so if I can free up the mental space. Huh. Man, that's that's a project I'm feeling really excited about. Like I could I could easily justify just banging on nothing else but this for like three months and I you know, if I was actually fully focused and aligned and towards towards growing this, I feel like I could double ARR. It, like maybe not in three months, but in a in a reasonable amount of time I could I could at least, you know, substantially change the, the growth curve. And there's so many ideas I have for ways that I could do that and uh hmm. It's a very interesting idea. Especially ten X. I didn't know they were that high. My gosh. Uh, I'd be I think that would be so so strategic acquisitions can go from ten to hundred X, right? I mean strategic acquisitions yeah, yeah. are nuts. And but the the low end of strategic and top end of like just regular, I think is is about ten right now. If you yeah. uh, so Einar Volset on Twitter talks about this sometimes and some people say things like five X or six X and he says uh, he, he without giving away numbers, he's basically like, No, it's higher than that. That's all he says, yeah. like every time. So uh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, you could reach out to some microconf people and uh, just float the idea past them and see what yeah. they say. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How interesting! This is not something I think I'd seriously considered before this moment. If I could get five x, and then have a whole bunch of cash, like there's other things I would want to start. I think maybe a fear of mine is that I wouldn't be able to make anything that was ever this successful again. But like. Yeah. I, uh, we didn't discuss this on the podcast, but I, I recently hit, uh, a fire financial goal of mine of like, I feel very comfortable financially where I am, uh, in, in like conservatively spending, uh, I, I feel like I probably won't run out of money in my life. I, that that's probably not a, a limiting factor for me, awesome. but if I could sell this and get back the attention that it's currently pulling away that would be very valuable to me yeah well and then i don't know that i would need to be afraid of like not being able to do anything yeah. else after this to, mm. to hit to five five to ten x though what you'll have to show is growth and yeah. especially i put in this much money and this much came out so like yeah i spent a thousand dollars on ads and ten thousand dollars came out um, yeah, yeah yeah that's a problem i can solve hmm a thing that i think would also make sense if i was going to sell it is to move everything serverless of like you don't even have to worry about maintenance yeah uh because this is just the entire application runs on a single firebase project and i can transfer it over to you with like you know five clicks i just add you as an administrator and, and take myself off yeah i would be interesting i would be a little wary about that thinking because um they're probably going to rewrite large chunks of it anyway so if you oh, rewrite yeah. it and then you give it to someone else and then they rewrite it uh yeah i don't know might be wasting effort but that's a better place to focus yeah and this this code base has been working and making this money and like my effort would be much better spent figuring out ways to spend money to get more money back out. Hmm. I'm gonna need to do a lot of thinking about this. This is this is an idea. Glad to distract you from <laughs> from your three D printing. <laughs> from my three D printing. Yes. I'll have something to think about now while I'm just watching the, the nozzle <laughs> just go uh trace around the thing I'm printing. Hmm. Hmm. It would optimize more for me. Like, I, I would feel so much more free to start new things. Like, I could just fully dive into Clipstop marketing. Interesting. Okay, yeah. Good ideas. There's, like, the administrative hassle of... I'm sure I'd have to do a bunch of paperwork and, like... 
Yeah, I mean, it'd probably take a bunch of accounts. Six months to sell, and it'd be a really hard six months. So yeah, yeah. think about that. But yeah, okay. Hmm. Yeah, I need to think about that. I think the flip side of this is like if I'm trying to get back my own attention, a way that I could also accomplish that is just streamline things better. So some of the strategies we've talked about of like anytime I do a customer support email, I turn that into a video instead, and then I just have a backlog of yeah. all those videos and better automate those processes. And like transitioning to serverless would be a thing for me of I would drop the number of, hey, you need to log into your server and do some sort of command line thing. I, w- I would drop that to zero. Um, I would be paying a little bit more money and I would be getting back my own time and attention. And that's the trade-off I think I want to make. And that would sort of be another way to accomplish this. And then, you know, it's it takes like two or three hours a week to run and it makes $8,000 a month. And that seems like a... And then if it would take me six months to transition that value into cash, I don't know. I need to I need to think about it. It's a good question. Yeah. Cool. Well, interested to hear what you uh, come up with. Cool. So am I. <laughs> I'd love to try, fast forward and listen to next week's episode and uh, see what happens. Uh, I have one more thing that I'd just like your hot take on. This sure. pretty quick. I uh, I started in this effort of trying to spend money to like make my life better, trying to spend money to, to in ways that make me more money uh, or get me more time back for most of the last year, probably 90% of the groceries that I bought have been through the Amazon uh, whole foods delivery service. And that's been great, but I hate their app. <laughs> what I want is a way that I can just say like, here are the things that I get 95% of the time. And I want to go through that list and just be like, yes, I'd like this. No, I still have this from last week. Yes, 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 yes. Done and order. And the amount of time I think that should take is like under a minute. And the amount of time it's taking is like 10 minutes. And I hate that. And I prototyped this little app. I'll be posting it on Twitter of like uh, development videos to do it of, of my development process. And it's sort of, there is an API to be able to add things to an Amazon cart, but there's some edge cases of like, I'm, I'm having trouble figuring out how to do it. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm getting in the weeds. I'm, I'm making an app for myself to make it easier for me to order these recurring grocery deliveries. Uh, what's your hot take on that? <laughs> is that a thing that would be useful to other people? Should I invest more work in like making it for other people? Uh, I don't know. I, I want your hot take. Yeah. Uh, well, so that's what Instacart did and they're worth over a billion dollars now. So, <laughs> you know, there's one take on it. Yeah. Um, mm. The second take would be uh, go. At, so Amazon through Whole Foods is interesting, but also I would try some of the other grocery stores in your area to check out their apps just to see how they're like. Mm. Um, we have Kroger near us and they have, it used to be called uh, Click something or other and now it's called Kroger online ordering or something. Anyway, um, and that's, that's pretty good, I would say. The search is pretty awful, but the thing that mm. they get exactly right is here's what here's like the things you order all the time. So like milk, eggs, mm. bread, and it's all the right brands, right? It's it's what you order all the time. Yeah. And then it's just like yes, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. Mm. And then if you need something else, you search for it. Search is awful, but that's fixable. Um, yeah. So yeah, like check out local grocery stores and see what their apps are like, um, mm. because they all have them now. Like the COVID is a thing. Um, yeah. So check those out. And then, uh, yeah. And then I guess I would say, try to find, if you find gaps in those, like try to find, you know, people in your local area that are also having trouble. If you want to turn this into a thing that other people use, right. 
mm-hmm. trying to find people who are having similar troubles to you and ask them what they don't like about it. Um, it's probably similar things like that you you know don't like. Um, so yeah, I would. This is another one. This is sort of like the Shopify idea you had, which is, I think there is a lot of value to be had. However, to get that value, you're going to have to access, you know, like a million people or something, yeah. um, which is difficult to do as a solo dev. So, yeah, yeah, like a lot of your ideas, I think it's uh, potentially very valuable, but uh, also maybe difficult to get to scale. Excellent hot take. I hadn't even thought about that other grocery stores have that same sort of app. Because Amazon, I think it, it feels very bolted on. It feels like, oh, well, we had this whole infrastructure for ordering products and let's do groceries. But if I'm using, I think I think the thing I'm trying to build would be much easier to bolt onto a, a grocery store that had made this just for their grocery store. That that makes a lot of sense. And then I, it may be that like the Kroger app is solving this for me. That if they're if they're implementing like the buy things you already buy in a more sane way, that that would make a lot more sense. Neat. I'll check that out. And I agree. Like <laughs> the winning play here, like to to make this a thing that is a company would it would have to be huge it would have to be like instacart level uh otherwise it's just like a fun tool to make it slightly easier to enter groceries okay cool good thoughts chris good conversation today my gosh we, we covered a lot of areas <laughs> yeah we sure did uh that's all i got that's all i got too then i will see you next week bye goodbye